Well, no one wants to be on the outside. Everybody wants to be on the inside. Isn't that true? Well, I know, found that principle to be no truer uh, than about two weeks ago, uh, Friday night, when uh, a certain product by a certain corporation came available at 5 p.m. Uh, at a certain store at MacArthur Mall. Uh, that might be the iPad 2. Now, if you've been living under a rock, you don't know what the iPad is. This is it. Everybody just say, wow. That's pretty unimpressive. Let's try it again. Wow. That was good. I don't know. Now we're just applauding technology at this point. Well, that's how, that's basically as I've been staring at my screen for the past year and a half or year or so drooling over Michael's iPad 1. By the way, this is the iPad 2, just in case I haven't reminded you. But, but the iPad 2, just drooling over this, wanting to have it, squirreling money away. Parent and I have been saving. And by parent and I, I mean mostly me. And I just have been waiting for the moment when this iPad 2 is going to be released. And sure enough, a couple of Fridays ago on a Friday night, uh, it was released. Well, I thought, you know what? I'd, I don't have a lot of time. Let me go see if I can get in line. I can't imagine the lines will be that long. So let's just see what happens. So I got to MacArthur about 5 o'clock, which is when they went on sale, figuring there'd be a couple hundred people in line. And this was the, my first image here. As I got there, it was about just hundreds of people in line. This is, you can't see me because, of course, I'm taking the picture. But it just winds on and on around and, and on around and on around again. And, and actually, what, part, of the, part of the experience of this is that uh, I'm surrounded by people. I'm actually taking, I am the guy taking the picture of all these people at this point. Ladies, this won't be any surprise to you. Most of these are single guys in line here. Uh, it, was a, it was a Friday night. Some of you guys are not laughing that we're standing in line with me. But... Uh, but uh, I was happily married, happy, happy to be in this line, and still I'm happily married. And here is this, that just kind of looking. Now, you can't really see, but the guy in the striped shirt there, right around, right around the, and the guy next to him, uh, the whole time that we were there, uh, they were arguing over different bits of technology, things that only, you know, computer geek guys like me will argue over. One of them was, uh, who invented, like, the text message, and how many text messages are sent each moment? In fact, the argument was, how many do you think? Do you think it's, it's more than Ch the people in China? Do you think it's more? than the people of all of Asia, and it went back and forth, guys, red in the face over this, and I thought, this is awesome, because I am right at home. I wanted to know the answer. They never really decided. I think they decided on a gazillion text messages uh, a day, but as the line kind of uh, progressed on, uh, I waited. This was about three hours here at this next picture, and I was just getting a little anxious. <laughs> as you can see, you know, I don't really have to tell you what I was thinking. I was like, I... The guy, I'm done with the text message conversation was pretty much what I was thinking. I could see the Apple Store. I, I knew there was a chance. And you know, the, the Apple Store employees, God bless them, they're wonderful people. But they have never felt, they had never felt that much power as they had in that moment right there. These just wonderful, wonderful employees who were just kind of walking up and down the aisle saying, I bet you'd like an iPad, wouldn't you? Yes, I would. Well, you're probably not going to get one. I just want to be honest and let you know that. Okay, all right, that's fine. So then the next picture comes a little bit closer. I am like within a stone's throw of this. I can taste the technology. I can taste the megabits. I can, it's just going to be amazing. And I'm certain that something is going to happen. But sure enough, I get within 25 people, and they said, I'm sorry, we're all sold out. And my heart broke a little. Uh, there was a tear that went down, single tear down my face, and I was just a little, a little sad, and so I got in my car, and I went home, and uh, went to actually out to eat with, uh, with some family, and, and Perrin was waiting for the great story, so did you get the iPad? I said, no, I, 
I didn't get the iPad, but I can tell you how many text messages are sent per day, uh, which was not interesting to her at all. So I tried to relive this story and laugh about it. Um, and so on my way home, I got a phone call. It was almost 9 o'clock, and it was from, from uh, Kevin McGee's wife, Leslie. Kevin McGee is our student ministry director. And Leslie, Leslie was there actually to buy a series of iPads uh, for her work. And something had happened, glitch in the matrix, don't even know. But somehow they had an extra one. And she called and asked the question, Adam, I've got an iPad. Would you like this iPad? And so I got in my car. I couldn't believe, first I said, is this a joke? Did parent put you up to this? You've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. I waited in line for three hours. The people with the blue shirt laughed at me. They told me that I was waiting in line for no reason. They said, I just want to make sure I completely understand this. Everyone who's waiting in line knows that there's no chance of them getting an iPod and you're still waiting. And we all said, yes, hoping, hoping somehow miraculously that one would float down from heaven into our hands. But one didn't at that time. But Leslie called me and I got in my car and I drove as fast as I could, as fast as the speed limit would allow. And I, I, got to, uh, I got to MacArthur Mall, and sure enough, this was my experience. Thanks to Leslie, which she probably should be voted Employee of the Year at Spring Branch, even though she's not on staff. She's the best part of Kevin. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I do look a little pasty here in this picture. I, it had been a long wait, but I want to thank, can we thank Leslie McGee for this wonderful story? Yes, that's right. We are applauding technology and the iPod. Well, or in the iPad, rather. But, uh, and so there were people that walked past us in line that would say, so what are you waiting in line for? And I kind of got annoyed by the question, so I started saying, well, they're giving out free, you know, iPods or free computers, as many as you can carry, and even suckered a couple of people to wait in line with me just to see. But, um, but the end of the story is, is that the next day I, I was eating lunch with a friend. And we were talking about how ridiculous, literally how ridiculous it is, ridiculous it was that I waited in line, that he waited in line for, and for other things he's waited in line for, an iPhone or different things of that sort. And we kind of came down to this question, what is it that is so unique? And this was basically our answer, is that this corporation uh, is doing something that no one else in the technological field is doing. Now, this isn't an infomercial for Apple or Apple products, but it is a story about a company who's doing something that no one else is doing. And so this morning in our conversation in the Touch series, Like Father, Like Son, we're, we're, we're continuing with many of these great gospel stories, these stories about Jesus leading to the ultimate story about Jesus uh, with the resurrection. What is this story really all about? I think it's really about this, is that Christianity, faith in Christ, is doing something that no one else is doing. Jesus is offering something that no one else can offer. And that is a pretty bold statement. But those of us who walk with Christ know that to be true. And how do we know it to be true? Because we, like Peter, have said to Jesus, where else could we go? Where else could we go? And we can answer that question because we know where we've been. We've been to places looking for hope. We've been to relationships looking for peace. We've been uh, in, in, and totally invested and involved in our careers looking for stability, and it's left us empty. And so those of us who walk with Christ know that there is something that he is offering that others have not offered. Other religions, other experiences. But you know, it doesn't take long, does it? It doesn't take long after that one experience. Maybe you remember it for some of you who came to know the Lord, maybe here at Spring Branch or maybe on a, a weekend retreat as a high school or middle school student or maybe somewhere else. It doesn't become long before that wonderful, beautiful, exciting faith is relegated to what? 
to a system of who's on the inside and who's on the outside. And so we focus on doctrine and dogma, and we write dissertations, and we go to seminary. Why? Because we want to better understand, but sometimes it un- 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 unintentionally maybe, I believe it's often the case, it still becomes about who's on the inside and who's on the outside. And so as Jesus comes onto the scene 2,000 years ago, he knew that that was the very thing that the religious rulers of the day were thinking about. It's not just a today's issue. It's not just a, an issue with those who are living in Virginia Beach. It's one that since the beginning of time, man has struggled with. They struggled with this sense of, does God, could God really love me just for me unconditionally? Could this gift of eternal life really come without strings attached? And so Jesus meets a whole population of people who were highly religious. They were highly educated in their doctrine and what they believed. And they, but yet at the same time, they knew all the right answers. And they had relegated their faith to who's on the inside and who is on the outside. And they were entirely missing the point. But so when Jesus in Matthew's chapter five, six, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, when he gives this beautiful sermon on the mount, the sermon on the mount as we call it today, when he says all of these things that appear to be very radical about blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, blessed are the merciful, and he talks about, he says, don't worry about your life or what you're going to wear, or what you're going to eat. How much more do I care about the birds of the air and the lilies of the field? Seek first me and my kingdom, and all of these things will be added unto you. He said, if you want a solid foundation, don't build your house in the sand. Don't build your life on things that are going to crumble, but build them on a rock, a solid rock, and that is me. Build your life on that. But when people first heard it, they thought, this is radical, this is transformational, this is new stuff. But what Jesus was saying is that this is nothing new. This has always been the story of God, where you have relegated faith to inside and outside conversations. For me, Jesus speaking, it's always been about those on the inside, those with the truth, reaching as far as they can towards those who are far from him to bring people into a relationship with God. That's the story of God, and it's always been that way. In John chapter 14, Jesus was talking with his disciples, and it was right after, you remember this moment, right after Jesus had washed the disciples' feet. And the scriptures say that, it it says, John says that now he was about to show them the full extent of his love. The full extent. So what does he do? He takes takes a towel and he washes the disciples' feet. Just one chapter over, the disciples are saying, so, uh, so when are we going to get to see God? When are we going to get to see the Father? And, and you, fo- you follow this, this conversation where Jesus is like, are you serious? Did, were you not just there? Have you not been following me? Have I not been saying all along that I am the Son of God? And so he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so while the stories of faith uh, the traditions of faith are, are amazing, and, and the stories of Christi- Christianity are so important to us, and that's one of the reasons we uh, just had the band sing this wonderful collection of old hymns, because they remind us that this is not something new. It goes far back, way before Jesus, to the, even the beginning of time, because the story of God has always been about bringing those who are far from him to the inside of God's grace and love without conditions. So he's saying, I've come to remind you that nothing has changed. I've always been about creating ways for those on the outside to get on the inside. You've just missed the point. Here's the point. Like father, like father, like son. 
And so we're going to look at a, at a passage in the book of Mark this morning. And let me share with you the real inside-out truth of the gospel this morning. This is from Mark chapter 1. It reads, a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, the man went out and began to, freely, began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people came to him from everywhere. So this is, if there ever was a picture of inside-outside theology, of what it is that Jesus was all about, about what the Father has always been about. It's this wonderful story here of how Jesus meets a leper. We know a lot of things about this story, and we're going to walk back through this passage and just kind of unpack some things that I think are really important in this discussion. As we try and figure out what kind of life are we supposed to live as, as those who are following God, but even for those who are not? What, what was it that Jesus, what is it the Father is really all about? What's important to him? And so it says in verse 40, A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Now the Jews of the day understood something about cleanliness. In fact, out of the 613 laws and, and the countless thousands of pages of, of commentary on those laws and how to live it out, so many of them focused on how to be clean. Because what did clean mean? If you were clean, it meant the difference between you being on the inside and you living on the outside. Cleanliness meant the difference between you being in community and outside of community. Cleanliness meant the difference between you experiencing a relationship with God and being able to, to worship in the temple at the time and the, and, the, and the difference of you not being able to do that at all and be entirely, entirely excluded. So cleanliness was something very, very important here. What else do we know here? It says here that the man was with leprosy. What do we know about leprosy? Well, we know it was a, a disease that probably took on many different forms. And, but in the, book of, um, in the book of Leviticus chapter 13, it says, this is one of those laws, exactly how people of the, of the day were supposed to deal with those with leprosy. And it says, this person with such an infectious disease must wear torn clothes. Let his hair be unkempt cover the lower part of his face and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as he has the infection, he remains unclean. He must live alone. He must live on the outside of the camp. Do you know what it feels like? Have you ever felt alone? Maybe nobody said that you had to yell or shout out unclean. But is there that, that thing in the back of your mind that's even right now thinking if only the person next to me knew my real story. Oh, I'd have to tear my clothes and do my hair all crazy and cover my mouth and shout unclean. We get what, it's, what it feels like to be on the outside. We get what it feels like to feel moments of uncleanliness and we get what it feels like to try and fix ourselves on our own. But what these lepers were in a sense is they were aliens 
in their own country. They were aliens. But what the religious had forgotten at that time is that the alien had always been a part of God's plan. God had a soft spot for those on the outside. He always has and he always will. If you go back to the book of Exodus, chapter 23, verse 9, it says, Do not oppress an alien. You yourselves know how it feels to be aliens because you were aliens in Egypt. God's people knew and were immediately, knew that scripture full well, knew what it was like to be under the oppression of someone else, knew what it was like to, to feel like you were on the outside. Do you know what it feels like? to be on the outside. Maybe you remember the first time you felt like you were on the outside. I remember when I was in kindergarten, uh, just wanting uh, one, a couple of friends to, to play with me, but because I didn't play a certain sport, they wouldn't hang out with me. And I remember in that moment feeling just like I was on the outside. We all have stories of middle school and high school and feeling on the outside and the parameters change. But how about, you know, as we move into college and career, uh, we still in those senses know what it's like to feel like we're on the outside or the inside, to feel like we're an alien, just wanting to find community, wanting to find hope and connection. Leviticus 19.34 says, The alien living with you must be treated as one of your native born." So you see here this thought of, of Jesus reaching out to those who are far from him is nothing new. You see a thread pulled all throughout the narrative of God. Somebody who was, who was native born had all of the rights and privileges that you had. It says love him as yourself. How about you right now? Do you have aliens in your life that you're loving as yourself? Or do they know that you know that they're an alien? What's your responsibility to them? Love him as yourself, for you were aliens in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. It's like God's not going to let them forget that, is he? You know, I don't know whether or not it was God's will or his intention for Israel to end up in Egypt in captivity, but I do know this for certain, that that captivity would always become a part. It would remain a part of their story. Why? Because he wanted to remind them of what it was like to be on the outside. Not just so that they would be grateful. Not just so they could say, boy, isn't it nice and cozy here on the inside? But why? So that they would pattern, so that they would practice, so that they would intentionally go and find people who were on the outside. So that people could find community in a relationship with God. Deuteronomy 16 says this. And rejoice before the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name. You, your sons and daughters, your men servants and maidservants, the Levites in your town, and who? And the aliens, the fatherless and the widows living among you. God understood and has always understood what it meant to feel like and what it meant to be an alien. And he always was trying to create ways to bring those who were feeling like they were on the outside towards the inside. Well, it continues on in the story in verse 41. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. Well, we've talked about this word before, compassion. Henry Nouwen gives us this great definition, two Latin words from pati and cum, meaning to suffer with 
a great definition. But in the Greek, the word here is splangnitsomai. It's a great word. Write it down and share it at lunch and look impressive. Splangnitsomai. It means this. It means to yearn from the deepest part of your soul, to be so moved that you have to do something about it, to yearn. It even says to yearn in the bowels, like the bowels, the depths of you, to splangnitsomai. And so when Jesus stood before this leper who came to him and said, will you touch me or will you heal me? Will you heal me? I know you can, but will you? Are you willing? Jesus was moved with compassion to yearn from deep within. That's, in a nutshell, the story of the gospel. If you are here this morning and you feel like you could not be farther from God than you've been in this moment, I want you to know this, that God, Jesus, splangnitsomize for you. He yearns for you that you would not remain on the outside, but that you would be in a relationship with him. And that is your choice, and that's something you can do right in your seat, as Michael said a couple weeks ago today. So the other question is, for those of you who are walking with God, what, where does your story intersect with this? Because you're responsible for being an agent of Splangnitzamai as well. Where are you yearning? Where are you just hurting? Where is your holy discontent living for those who are living on the outside? I remember the uh, very tangible time. Uh, I remember it vividly the first time that I, I went to Nicaragua. And uh, I remember visiting a refugee camp and standing on the edge of it looking into what was just a giant canyon that was a, uh, just a tremendous dump. And in that, in that dump, in the midst of it, was just what looked like a mile, a square mile or more, were just thousands of people rummaging through the filth. And they weren't looking for Christmas presents. They weren't looking for necessarily clothes or shoes. They were looking for food. And as I realized that, my heart began to break as I knew that I only had enough money in my pockets to feed the few kids right around here. And I was just so angry at God as I looked out and I saw this and I said, God, how could this possibly be you? And as I've reflected over the years on that incident, I believe that God's response is, what are you going to do about it? It's to yearn from deep within, a yearning that comes from God himself. That's the feeling that Jesus had for this leper. But what does he do? He doesn't just leave it at that. It's the scripture says that he, Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. No big deal, right? It's just a touch. Just a hand on a shoulder. You put your hand on a probably a couple of people's shoulders today as you're walking in to the church. Hey, how you doing? Good to see you. But you can't miss this because this touch changed everything. Not just for this leper, but it changed for all the religious people who were standing around watching, waiting to catch Jesus in the act of doing something that would break the religious law. It changed the course of history forever because in a touch, Jesus said, I am willing to risk Filth, I'm willing to risk dirtiness. I'm willing to risk uh, uh, persecution, even death. Because why? Because you are worth it. And I'm going to touch you because I want to show that religion, that faith in God is so much more than rules and right. It's so much more than inside and outside stuff. It's about compassion. It's about touch. And I'm going to touch you. And even though it's against the law, watch me. He touches him. 
and he's healed in an instant. He didn't have to touch him. You know, we know the story in Matthew 8 where, uh, where the cent- a centurion came to Jesus and said, hey, I've got a servant that's sick. Would you heal my servant? And Jesus said, I'll come with you. And the centurion says, no, I get authority. I know that you could just say, come and go. You could say, be healed, and this person will be healed. So just say that. I don't want to waste your time. And Jesus said, wow, okay, I'll do that. And so he did. Jesus didn't have to touch. He doesn't have to touch us today. But that is the story of God. He wants to reach you in the midst of your alienness, in the midst of your leprosy, in the midst of your brokenness. He has that splangenitzomai for you. So the question is, what are we supposed to do with this now? What's this so what here? And I, I believe that Jesus really out of this passage gives us two brief thoughts. Two brief thoughts that I call Jesus from the inside out. And the first, very simply, is this, to keep the first things first. C.S. Lewis writes, you can't get the second things by putting them first. You can get the second things only by putting the first things first. It takes a brilliant guy like C.S. Lewis to make something so simple, so real, doesn't it? You, can get the, you can't get the second things by putting them first. You can get the second things only by putting the first things first. Let me give you an example. So Friday night, uh, our family had just went out to dinner, and uh, we were driving in the van. And Luke and Zoe, as they do, uh, Luke, Luke 6, Zoe 3, sitting in the back seats. There's enough separation, hopefully, to keep them from, uh, from swinging at each other unless they get the right tools or weapons. There's no contact. Well, uh, Luke had found uh, what was just an insignificant uh, coloring book of Zoe's. And uh, just started kind of leafing through it, but she saw that he had it, and that became in that moment, what, the most important coloring book that ever existed. And so she just got all kinds of fussy. And uh, yes, my kids get fussy from time to time. Uh, but at the end of the, at the end, just like yours. So, there, so she is just ready to, she's fit to be tied. She starts swinging at him. She's pulling, his, reaching over, pulling his shirt, trying to scratch at him, and just screaming and yelling. And Luke is just having a good old time, reading a coloring book that he has no interest in re- really reading. So there's a pause in this story. There's a pause as Zoe kind of, kind of reflects for a moment as I see her little mind turning. And she looks down in the seat next to her, and what does she find? A transformer. But not just any transformer, Bumblebee Transformer. In our house, now your house, Optimus Prime, may be the, the Mac Daddy of all Transformers, but in our house, Bumblebee is it. We have Bumblebee everything. We've dressed up like Bumblebee for Halloween. We dress up like Bumblebee just for dinner time sometimes. That's just what we do. We love Bumblebee, and by we, of course, Luke is, is the champion of Bumblebee. So in this, Zoe um, takes the toy, she starts playing with it. Luke's looking at the coloring book, and Zoe starts singing. I love Bumblebee, I love Bumblebee, I love Bumblebee. And Luke goes, ah, Bumblebee, Bumblebee, Bumblebee. And she goes like this. And she says, and and basically motioning for, I'll give you the transformer, but you give me the coloring book first. And so in an instant, there's an exchange, and Zoe's smiling, and Luke is still crying a little bit, and he's looking at his transformer that was just sitting next to him, and he's wondering what just happened, and Zoe's just very peaceful. And that's the story of most nights at our house. But what's the point of this is that Zoe had to get the first things first. The first thing she needed to do in order to get her toy was to get Luke to play with his. The second thing was for then her to be able to play with her toy. But what about for us? What about for us who are trying to, uh, trying to reach people who are far from God, trying to, uh, 
you know, to really get the first things first right. What are we supposed to do? Well, Gabe Lyons wrote a book called Unchristian a few years ago, and it was really a story about how uh, uh, just the Christianity was unfolding. And he wrote a follow-up book called The Next Christians. And this was a little bit more positive, a little bit more upbeat, even though uh, he says here, the good news about the end of Christian America doesn't sound all that positive. It really was. But this is what he says our first thing has to be. He says, the first thing Christians must do is to recover the real gospel of Jesus Christ. To relearn and fall in love again with that historic, beautiful, redemptive, faithful, demanding, reconciling, all-powerful, restorative, atoning, grace-abounding, soul-quenching, spiritually fulfilling, good news of God's love. How easily we become distracted and sidetracked in debates and dogma and doctrine that are quite often matters of the second thing. Where has faith in Jesus Christ moved from the first thing to you to maybe the second thing? What is now in first place? Is it about the inside-outside conversation? Is it about doctrine, about who's right or who's wrong? Have you lost a sense of what the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is really all about? Have we relegated our faith to a matter of fixing people in order to get them to a right place to where we can live with their brokenness on the inside? We love to fix people, don't we? But our goal can never be about fixing people or behavior modification. It always has to be about living out the real gospel which is Jesus Christ. It's got to be the first thing. Second, Henry Nouwen calls this entering actively into the thick of life. We must enter actively into the thick of life, or in other words, get ready to get your hands dirty. Are you ready to get your hands dirty? Because I can tell you there is a world who really gets what it feels like to be on the outside. And they are absolutely convinced that you don't care about them. They are absolutely convinced that in order for them to get on the inside, they have to be cleaned and polished and to believe exactly like you do in order to understand what community and faith is all about. Now, are there clear rights and wrongs in scriptures? Yes, there are. But there's something in the middle that Jesus got because this leper was somebody that he should have no business touching. And in the, Jesus reached into the midst of his brokenness and said, I'm going to meet you more than halfway. I don't have to touch you, but I'm going to. Jesus was willing to get his hands dirty. It's going to require some dirt under your fingernails if you want to reach people who are on the outside. People are going to talk about you. They're going to say things about you. They're going, to question your, uh, you. they're going to question your beliefs. How could you be talking to those individuals? How could you be doing that? But that's the story of faith. And maybe you're hearing this and you're feeling very much on the outside. If you've been told anything other than what I just told you, challenge, I challenge you to go look in the scriptures and rediscover the real gospel again for the first time. You know, for 18 years... Here at Spring Branch, we have always been about taking risks to reach people who are far from God. Years ago in a message uh, that Michael gave, he said, I'm going to challenge you to give up the way you want to do church to reach the unchurched. Now, that doesn't mean give up, that doesn't give, mean give up the essence of the gospel. In fact, that's the very nature and the very uh, the catalyst that we're going to do this with. But it does mean that you're going to be willing to get your hands dirty, maybe dirt under your fingernails and, and listen to some conversations and engage people who are living with doubts and questions as if you don't have them. 
but living with those people so that Jesus might transform them because the scriptures are very clear that only the Holy Spirit transforms people. If you think you're fixing folks, I think you're mistaken. It's Jesus transforming them from the inside out. And that's what we've always been about here at Spring Branch. We take risks. We do things that other churches and other communities think, boy, that's crazy. We don't do it just for shock value. We do it because we get what's at stake when people move from the outside to the inside. And by being a part of this community, you're saying, I am willing to do that. And the question is, what does your week have to look like in order to start really living that real gospel? What needs to shift in your life for, for that to really happen? Imagine if you were to start to recapture the gospel as you move closer to this Easter season, see what it could do. How many lives could be changed for the sake of the kingdom? What could God do through your story? Well, a couple weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, I was at a men's breakfast, and uh, I interviewed, had the privilege of interviewing three uh, wonderful guys that are part of our men's ministry. Three great stories that will all illustrate this sense of knowing what it feels like to be on the outside and also experiencing that inside story. The first, Anthony, his daughter, a high school, a high school student, brought him to church. And he's here today. His family is coming to, or he's here in this community because of just listening to his daughter who said, why don't you come? This is a great place. It's a place you can ask questions. They're going to love you just the way you are. They're not going to try and fix you. It's a great place to be. And so he told a story about how he came and he felt loved and accepted. And then uh, recently had a, uh, uh, some, some health issues. And this men's ministry surrounded him in community. And not a day went by in the midst of his experience where somebody didn't call and say, how are you doing? What's going on? That's inside kind of stuff. That's real gospel stuff. Dave told his story about how he'd been an atheist for years and years and years. And his wife challenged him, hey, come to this class where you can come and ask questions. Several years ago here at Spring Branch, just come and ask questions. And he said, you know, I came to hear the stories of Jesus even though I knew they were wrong. I came to hear, like, what, just to be reminded of how wrong they were. And he talks about how that began a progression of faith to where he eventually gave his life to Christ. And his life was never the same. But finally, there was a, a gentleman named Lyle. And Lyle says 71, 72 years old and has only come to faith within the past few years. And he told a story about how before he came to Spring Branch into uh, to a men's ministry, but before he came to Spring Branch, God wasn't even on the radar. But a series of events happened. The economy tanked. Some relational rifts happened in his family. And all of a sudden, he found himself feeling alienated on the outside. And he came to church on an invitation. And he said after telling his story, that he said, you know, if I have one thing to say, it's that I am so glad that God let me live this long so that I could be in a relationship with him. Because I went my entire life on the other side. So what's your story today? Are you feeling on the outside? Are you feeling like you're on the inside and maybe you've missed the point? Well, here is the good news. There is hope for all of us. And this is what I want to leave you with. This is it right here. The story of God has never been about keeping people on the outside. It has always been about having the guts to live in the in-between so that people might find their way home. Do you have the guts to live on the in-between, get your fingers dirty, 
Do you have the guts to believe that Jesus is going to meet you there in the in-between? I can promise you, if you do, you won't be disappointed. Why? Because that's the story of God. It's always been that way, and it will always continue to be that way. Let's pray. Gracious God, I thank you. I thank you for the gospel. I thank you for the truth that comes through through Jesus Christ, uh, something that we could not attain or acquire or earn on our own. It's such a simple message and such a basic fact in Christianity, but it's so true. God, where I've missed it, I pray that you would just refine me again. Where my friends here have missed the point and made faith about rules and regulations, keeping people on the inside or outside, and have missed the very essence of relationship. God, I pray that that they would be re-inspired and refined as well. God, would you do a new thing in our hearts as we move closer to the celebration of the resurrection this year. May this be an Easter season like never before. Would we be able to say like never before that we have overcome by the blood of the Lamb, not because of anything that we've done, we have overcome. God, we need that in our lives. Thank you for turning chaos into creation over and over. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good day and God bless. 